Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just simply ask that you would be with us, that you would give us uh, understanding of these hard words. Lord, ultimately, we hope that you would open our eyes to the gospel, that we would see it more clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have you ever known somebody who's just like a huge fanatic about something and you just don't get it? You just are like, man, like they keep raving about this thing, Tiger King. Like, what is it? I don't get it. Maybe even you see it and you're still like, I I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, You may start to get the sense that like Paul is just like a fanatic about this gospel and he is just like repeating himself so much. Um, it, it's kind of hard to, to understand. Um, there is a story I, I just uh, read about this dog named Reese's, uh, like the peanut butter cups. And he was in Colorado and his owner uh, was going out to his garage, which was separated from the house. And he was trying to get, I think, some like food for his chickens or something. So maybe he was on a farm and his dog like just started barking. And just being like belligerent and just like running around and barking and kind of acting crazy. And he, it wouldn't let him in the garage. And he didn't know why. And he did it over and over and over again until he realized, you know, maybe there's something in the garage that I need to be careful of. And so sure enough, he finds out that there is a gas leak and the garage is full of poisonous gas. And his dog has been trying to keep him Uh, safe. So Paul is like the dog Reese's in this. He is is insistent. He's running around like crazy, sort of like at the end of himself, trying to get the Galatian Christians to understand uh, where they're heading and the destruction in which they're heading. Paul insists so much he, he he talks about their relationship he's kind of been in his lawyer mode and he's kind of made arguments but now he's really kind of going deep into his own history with the galatian people so he tells us a few things there are eight different things i found i'm sure you could find others it says that he became like them and what this means is that paul was by lineage a jew and but the Galatian Gentiles were not Jewish. And so when he lived with them, which he did for a time, he didn't follow the Jewish law. He became like them. He kind of put down his own preferences and even his own ethnic um, tendencies to become more like them in order for them to understand the gospel. Apparently, while he was with the Galatian church, he had this physical ailment. We don't really know what it was, but he was sick and he was uh, prevented from leaving Galatia for a time but he continued to teach to them. And he also says that it wasn't just Paul, it wasn't just me who loves you, you guys would have gouged your eyes out for me. So I don't know many of you who would say I'd gouge your eyes out for a friend, but um, what he's saying is that their love is mutual, that he loved them passionately, he loved them uh, persistently, and they did as well. But now he's turned into this enemy. He's being seen as this person who's just like making this fuss, making this ruckus. 
And he's reminding them, I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. Uh, we have this history. We have this love. And he even goes so far as to call them little children. And he talks about them as if he is a mother giving birth to them. He's feeling that pain. He's feeling that anguish. Um, I've seen the pain on my wife's face as she's given birth. And it, I think any woman would tell you it's the most intense pain a woman will ever feel. Um, this is the kind of intensity in which Paul feels and passionately wants them to understand the gospel. And carrying on with this kind of uh, parent-child motif, he talks as if he's like the teenagers have been acting up and he needs to go and sit and talk with them. He says, I wish I was with you to teach you. He's perplexed. He's, he's upset. He's frustrated. Um, but in a holy way, because he knows what's happening is something that is serious uh, to their lives. I think so far I've argued that Paul was, he was insistent, he was passionate, uh, he was using some pathos here to explain why they needed to listen to him and remind um, them of the gospel. But what's actually at stake? What is actually the danger? What is the poisonous gas in the garage for the Galatians and for us? If we desert the gospel, if we distort it, if we mess it up a little bit, so what? I mean, you know, we're imperfect human beings, so what? Uh, I want to spend the rest of our time just talking about what's at stake. I think the first thing is something that we've already talked about. Our sonship is at stake. Our understanding of ourselves as a being accepted and being adopted into God's family where God is our father and he loves us and he's proud of us that's at stake we talked about that last time the other two things that he brings up that are at stake here are knowledge of the true God first of all and freedom knowledge of the true God as opposed to false gods and freedom as opposed to slavery. So let's look at those two things. First, knowing the true God. Have you guys ever been conned or frauded, defrauded? Um, it's a terrible thing. It's awful. I was once conned by this guy who had this whole story and he got $80 out of me at an ATM. And it's embarrassing to admit that I was, I was totally fooled. I totally believe this guy's story, and I, I withdrew $80 from my bank account, which at, at the time felt like a ton of money to me. Um, I felt like my mind had been controlled. I felt like I, I didn't even know how that could have happened. You know, I, I normally am a pretty cautious, steady, even-keeled person. How could I have been um, fooled like that? Well, one of the greatest frauds or cons of our time was Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. And it wasn't $80. It was $50 billion in most estimates. What was at stake in that? Well, for these people, it was their retirement, their life savings, their security, uh, the investments uh, of their entire lives, their, their hard work, 
they put and they entrusted in this man, Bernie Madoff, and he ripped them off. Um, the man they trusted to invest their money turned out to be a fraud. He was not who he said he was. Well, false gods are frauds. They're not who they say they are. False gods in the Bible is often uh, talked about as an idol or idolatry. Now, in the modern world, there are a lot of idols that we don't actually recognize as such. Uh, money, power, sex, comfort, pornography, addictive substances, all of these things in and of themselves may not be wrong, aside from a few. But when we expect them to be God, to take that place in our lives, when we expect um, endless happiness, endless peace, um, endless security from these things, they always fail. They turn out to be frauds. For Bernie Madoff, it was the 2008 recession. When that hit, when the bottom fell out, he was caught. And the thing about idols in our hearts is that when the bottom falls out, when suffering enters our lives, when a global pandemic happens, they prove to be weak and worthless, just like Paul says in verse 9. They don't stand up in the midst of suffering. Uh, they don't prevent or shelter us from evil. And in fact, they're not able to make us better people, these idols, uh, these false gods. Uh, they don't make us closer to God. They mo don't make us closer to the truth. What they do is they make us into something less than who we are. Um, I think I've used this example before, but I think it's so good. You know, Gollum in The Lord of the Rings was once a hobbit and a decent looking hobbit for hobbit's uh, sake. Um, and then he turns into this shriveled kind of sub-hobbit, sub-human um, monster-like creature, right? And it was because of his obsessive love for this ring of power. And when we love false gods, we become less than who we were made to be. It's inevitable. And one of the ways that this happens is these things enslave us. Uh, we don't control them, but just like a good con man, our minds are controlled. We're under their control. And this bears out an experience. Ask, ask any addict uh, how easy it is to quit. They say, yeah, it's, it's taken my everything I've got uh, to quit. Um, that's an easy example. But there are a lot of things in our lives, if you, if you don't struggle with addiction, that are hard to quit. And I think sometimes when we're forced to quit them, uh, when they're taken away from us, that's when we realize that they're an idol. Maybe suffering happens in our lives. Something is taken away from us and we realize, wow, I was controlled by that. Uh, that I was not over, uh, I was not in control over it. So 
if we were talking about false gods, well, what's the true God? Who is the true God? Well, the true God is revealed in Jesus Christ. Uh, Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There is no other. Uh, he's the genuine thing. He is who he says he is. And he, he proves through experience to pass the test. He's the real deal. Uh, he's worth investing our lives in. He is strong and enduring. He's not weak and worthless. So in the midst of suffering um, and encountering evil, Jesus is our best friend. Jesus is who he says he is. He is the, the conqueror of sin and death, which is our real enemy. And Jesus doesn't enslave us, uh, but he brings freedom. He breaks bonds of sin and death to bring us freedom and not slavery. So that's the test of what's a true God. Does it bring freedom or does it bring slavery? Jesus brings freedom. Which brings us to the second point. Uh, what is at stake in the gospel? Our freedom. Our freedom's at stake. Well, what does that mean? Okay, in in most of our lives, we think about freedom as I can do what I want, whenever I want, however I want, with whomever I want. It's, it's all about me, 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 me. And this is very popular uh, in the West. That This is, you know, we talk about freedom in America, right? Um, this is often what we're thinking uh, when we think about freedom. But the freedom that Jesus brings is a different kind of freedom. Uh, because, as it turns out, that kind of uh, American definition of freedom turns into bondage, turns into slavery, doesn't end up working so well. Uh, but the freedom that Jesus brings is freedom from the bondage of sin and death. He came to earth. He withstood the greatest temptation that any man has ever um, encountered. He overcame it. He didn't give in. Uh, he went to the cross. He endured suffering more than any of us can ever imagine. And he overcame it by raising from the dead on the third day. And because he did it, he can give us the power to do the same. Uh, he gives us the spirit and he gives us the freedom to overcome sin. And the beautiful thing about this is we're free to be who God always intended us to be. When we serve God, we don't become less. We don't become Gollum-like, subhuman. We become more human. We become more like God's creative intent. But how does Paul argue with this in this passage? Uh, the second half of this passage is really... You kind of get into the weeds with Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Abraham and covenants and promises and allegory. You know, what is going on here? I just want to briefly explain some things. If you'll remember, Sarah and her husband Abraham were promised that they would have a son and that their offspring would be like the sand on the seashore and the stars in the skies. They would be the Jewish people that would fill the earth and be a blessing to all nations. There's one catch. Sarah was in her 90s 
and she was barren. So Sarah and Abraham sitting around got a little impatient and were like, hey, you know what? My maidservant, she's not barren. She's young. She could bear a child for us. Abraham, why don't you sleep with her? They went on with the plan. They took matters into their own hands and Hagar, Sarah's servant, had Ishmael. Later on, God actually fulfills his promise to Sarah. And Sarah has a son of her own named Isaac. And it's through Isaac that the, the blessing, that the promise to Israel was fulfilled. It wasn't through Ishmael. So Paul uses these two women, these two sons, as an allegory for the way of faith in God's promises on the one hand, or the way of trusting yourself on the other. So one is the way of freedom, one is the way of slavery. One is God's way, one is ours. And what he argues is that the Judaizers, these opponents of Paul, who are trying to make the Galatians follow the Torah, the Jewish law, he's saying something which would have been really offensive. He's saying that these Judaizers are children of the slave woman, not children of the free woman. Meaning they are in that vein of human history that takes matters into their own hands and is not under the promise of God. Now this is huge. This is huge. What this means is that the Galatian Gentiles were more in line. In one sense, they were more Jewish than the Jews who were so proud of their Judaism. So we have to reckon with this. We talked about false gods, false idolatries, you know, kind of like pagan sounding kind of stuff. Uh, heathen, <laughs> right? Uh, we don't really use those words a lot these days. Um, but here, Paul is saying that even religious type people, people who are super pious and super big on the law, can be enslaved, can be counterfeit. Paul can smell this. He can smell this going on in the city of Galatia. He knows what's up. He knows that this is dangerous that this is not for their good. He knows what's behind the veil. These people are trying to lead you away from trusting in God, who would fulfill his promise and lead you towards trusting yourself. Now, what we believe about in terms of ultimate things, what you and I believe about life, about death, about eternity, about God, mankind, the future of the cosmos, that's what we end up staking our lives in at the end of the day. Uh, we are putting our money in, in something, some sort of set of beliefs that we're saying, this is, this is what I'm banking on. But what is at stake? Well, it's not just our temporal life. It's not just this life, but it's eternal life. When the bottom drops out, what's going to be, what is going to be left? Uh, 
everything is going to be revealed to either be a huge Ponzi scheme, a counterfeit, fraud, or will it be secure? Will it be as secure as a child in God's arms? You see, God's promise is a covenant promise. It's a never-ending love. It won't let you down, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of your own battle with sin. And trusting in him and his promise is where we experience the fullest freedom that we long for. So let's trust in him and let's listen to Reese's, (laughs) the barking dog, who is persistent and maybe even sometimes seems annoying. He really wants us to get the gospel because our lives are at stake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we need you uh, to first understand what the true gospel is, but then to actually believe it and live it out in our lives. Uh, Father, uh, we need you desperately, um, perhaps even In this time, we we feel our need for you more than we ever have. Lord, we pray that you would give us your spirit, that you'd be present with us, give us comfort, the rest, the security, the sense of freedom that we know can only be found in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.